Where does that work ethic come from? For sure, my grandmother. And I think growing up without a mom and a dad, you know, nothing was ever handed. We had to work for everything. Also, just seeing that's what's needed to survive in this world is the art of working hard. I don't expect anything. Like, I'm just, I just want to work hard. I just take pride with having the magic and things. You know, I just want things to always go well. I know things will not always go well, but I think my grandmother and me growing up, definitely with that chip on my shoulder and just, just happened to work hard. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. My guest this week is Marquise Bowden. Marquise is a 31-year-old runner based in L.A., and he first came onto my radar several weeks ago when I saw him featured in a film from Tracksmith called Race Day is Still Sacred. Then I heard him popping up in my podcast feed, which then sent me down the rabbit hole and landed me on articles about him in both Tempo Journal and Runner's World, and I just knew that we had to have a conversation. A former college basketball player who says that running found him a few years ago, Marquise has big goals in the sport. He ran a two-minute personal best of 239 last month for his virtual Boston Marathon. And while he has a long way to go on paper to achieve his goal of qualifying for the Olympic trials, Marquise has the tools, the drive, and the guidance to take him to some pretty incredible places. His humble, hardworking nature and the pride he has for his family and community are also admirable and really come out in this conversation, which I'm excited to share with all of you here in a bit. We talked about his journey in the sport, how his training has evolved and all that good stuff, but we got deeper into his story about growing up in the inner city of Compton and Carson, California, and being raised by his grandmother because his parents were out of the picture. Marquise told me about reuniting with his dad just a few years ago and how that missing puzzle piece fit back into his life. We also talked about his lack of self-belief as a kid and how he grew his confidence, his work ethic and having a chip on his shoulder patience and playing the long game, as well as the importance of living each day with gratitude and love. We also talked about what it means to be a black male in running today, how we can increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in the sport, and a lot more. There is no sponsor for this week's episode, but if you'd like to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support, where for as little as a buck a week, you can help keep The Morning Shakeout sustainable and also gain access to some exclusive content like The Weekly Rundown, which is my Patreon-only podcast that I co-host with my friend Billy Yang, the occasional emergency pod, and other perks that pop up from time to time. That's themorningshakeout.com slash support. All right, let's dive right into this one with Marquise Bowden. All right, thanks to some mutual acquaintances, this conversation came together pretty quickly. Marquise Bowden, I couldn't be more excited to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Oh, Mario, it's a huge honor. Thank you so much for having me. It means, it means a lot to me. So where I want to start, I've been Strava stalking you these past <laughs> few weeks because I want to I want to check out your training and oh, man. all of it's been on the bike, yeah, uh, yeah. which threw me for a little bit of a loop because it was wasn't more than like a month ago you ran a two thirty nine virtual Boston on your own. But talk to me a little bit about all this riding that you've been doing. What's that about? Oh, more I think I'm just I'm just riding the bug, you know, the bug per se. You know, it's, okay. I'm just having a good time, and I have awesome you know coworkers here at, at Gooder and. Um, and just people in the, in the, in the community here in LA, um, that is just like, 
just so intriguing, you know. So I'm thinking I'm just I'm just having a good time with it and just trying to see what I can do, you know. And uh, cycling's not easy, <laughs> and um, constantly learning and grateful again to be riding with some amazing, amazing riders and again learning from them. So it's been awesome. Running's your main thing right now, but you've only been at it for a few years. Did you have any prior background in cycling or is this the first time that you've ever jumped on the bike with any seriousness? Oh, for, very, very first time. <laughs> very first time. And, um, and again, just, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain the excitement behind it. It's just, again, so intriguing. It's kind of like when you learn something new, you know, you just want to get really good at it. And I'm just trying to, again, each week, just trying to just enjoy it and just see how far I can, how far I can go. <laughs> Does it feel like it's pulling you away from running at all? Or is this just something that is temporary and at some point you're going to transition back into your running routine? Uh, definitely. Um, it's a temporary thing, but also I've, I've, I've said it to a couple of people. I mean, in just conversation with cycling, I, I do want to get really good at it. But of course, the, the main focus and the, the heart is completely into running. Um, I'm just enjoying it for the moment, you know, because, you know, for Boston, I technically been training since November. So my body mm -hmm. extremely tired, but feeling good at the same time. So it just kind of, it kind of just really feels good to take a break from running and, and to kind of, you know, put the mind focus on something else. Is your body feeling pretty good after the virtual Boston you did in September? Yeah, it feels, it feels amazing. Um, I mean, honestly, I was tired, um, but, but felt, but honestly, it felt really good. Um, even after the fact, um, um, so I felt like I could have jumped right back into starting to run maybe even after a week and a half, two weeks. Um, but I just wanted to honor, you know, the work we put in. Um, and at the same time, just wanted to look forward to doing something else in, in a positive way. Was it a little easier for you to not jump back into running because there is still so much uncertainty as far as when races are going to come back? Oh, 100%, Mario. Um, and after, you know, we uh, we're just kind of looking at you know uh, me and my coach Omar just looking at what's ahead and we, we kind of were kind of thinking about dabbling in the Houston Houston half in January and then piggybacking that into um, uh, LA Marathon but it's just like there's nothing set in stone you know that those things are going to happen so I was like I'm just going to just enjoy some time off but we're still we're still looking to get back into it at the same time um, so I know I definitely need to start back running soon. Um, just, just not rushing it, you know. Are you hungry too at this point? Or are you just enjoying cycling too I much? Just enjoying cycling too much. Um, but, but in the back of my mind, I know I need to get back running. But I think I'm just really enjoying cycling at a at a, a ridiculously high level. <laughs> <laughs> Have you taken an interest in the sport? I mean, Tour de France was not that long ago. I think that's probably right about the time that you started jumping back yeah. or, or jumping onto the bike. Did you take an interest in the sport of cycling itself as you were getting more immersed in it as an athlete? Oh, 100%. And I, I caught a couple of stages. And, and as I started to intrigue more and more into cycling, I was watching numerous YouTube videos and having good, good conversations with my buddy, Jeff Mahin, who's been one of my mentors in cycling and, and just in life, he's amazing. Um, but starting to ride with a couple of people at, at Rafa here in LA and again, my, my, my coworker, uh, Jason here, who's an amazing cyclist riding into and from work, you know, learning from them and learning from everybody. So I'm constantly like juicing up on, uh, um, types of just learning and, and 
fixing up my bike and, and, and having opportunities to, to get that, get some help with that through SRAM and, and zip speed. So it's, this has been a, a lot of great energy and I'm just, again, just enjoying it every, every second of it. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hard getting me off the bike. You know, <laughs> you were pretty fit running wise before you hopped on the bike. Did you see that fitness translate pretty immediately? Um, I don't know. I feel like cycling's different than running. I mean, of course you can, I mean, it's the, the endurance is there, but, um, I was, it was definitely actually pretty difficult. Like I'm still not, I wouldn't say I'm still good, not good at it, <laughs> but, um, uh, just seeing how to coordinate the, 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 the ways of, you know, shifting and the do's and the don'ts. And, um, but I did feel like I can, I can go for a long time, but the speed wise, it's, it's still something I'm trying to get used to. And it's, it's very difficult. That makes it intriguing though. How about the bike handling aspect of it? Oh, I've gotten in a couple of crashes already. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I'm, again, I'm learning Mario. And, and again, it's, it's, it's one of those things just like, I just want to get really, really good at it. I call it getting savage. I want to get savage in cycling, but <laughs> just to kind of have that like a two-edged sword, like, oh, I'm good in cycling. Oh, I'm good at running. Oh, that's awesome. You know, cause I know the two doesn't really go, coexist. So uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to just try something new and just trying to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Well, duathlon is a, is a thing. Um, but just be careful not to add that third element of swimming. Cause then oh, you're going no. down the triathlon road and that's its own, that's its own thing altogether. I can't swim like that. So I definitely won't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking for about six minutes here before we go any further. I'm not sure what percentage of my listeners recognize your name if they follow Tracksmith, which has been a sponsor of this podcast and my newsletter before, or they've listened to the Rambling Runner or the Keeping Pace podcast. They may have heard a little bit about your story, but for the rest of my listeners, why don't you give us just a quick little intro of who you are? Uh, well, again, my name is Marquise Bowden, and I love to run. I love to um, just try to be a bright light, you know, um, to others as many have done to me. So um just trying to just chase a dream that is, has a burning desire in my heart and my mind. And uh, have a, it's an amazing community here in LA that again has sparked me and helped me so much again. So um, just again, just want to be a bright light. And you're what, 30 years old? Uh, 31, be 32 uh, next month on the 28th. Okay. And as I alluded to earlier, running is not something that you've been at for most of your life or even half your life or even really like a quarter of yeah. your life. It's a, it's a relatively new pursuit. Tell me a little bit about your introduction to the sport. Oh, man. Um, I mean, first off, my, I was fully fledged into basketball from, the, from, high, from middle school all the way through high school and college. So I competed in basketball and, um, and then through through some heartache and ended up losing my scholarship in basketball and found running and the sport is is just it's a very phenomenal sport and and again I'm I'm still very new at it and I respect it and I love it already so much and um uh I even get a little sometimes I get a little emotional even you know thinking about it and talking about it um just because it's been so good to me and and um I'm I know I'm I'm people have been tackling running for their entire life, you know? And um, so sometimes I get overwhelmed looking at some of the things that have came my way and I don't take it for granted. You know, I just look at it as a blessing and, and um, just try to do the best I can and, and, and give positive energy always. Yeah. 
when you were coming up playing basketball through school, eventually yeah. into college, did you do any running at all, like on the track team when you were a kid or school races, anything like that? Yeah, I did. So I was, uh, um, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with junior college um, sporting sports. It, it kind of the sports kind of overlap depending on the sport. So mm-hmm. uh, basketball and track kind of interfere, but they're separate. And so I was actually registering um, at Long Beach City College, and I didn't want to waste, you know, just just time sitting. So I ended up joining the track team. Uh, so I ran collegiately track, uh, specializing in 100, 200, and uh, four by four. And uh, my go-to was the 200. But prior to that, I, I ran a little bit when I was younger, um, did all sprints. So nothing long distance, mm-hmm. all strictly sprinting stuff. So did a little bit yeah, and did some cross country as well. When you were running on the track team, what did you think of distance running? Oh, it was, <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, the track, the sprint, the sprint guys and girls would, would, would practice along with it you know, at the same time as the distance, but, you know, you'll see them out, you know, crushing miles on the road, then come back on the track and they're just doing laps and laps and laps. And, you know, we're doing these, uh, 30 yard sprints or 200s or, you know, 300s, the longest, you know, so it was just like, I would never want to be doing that, you know? So, (laughs) so that's what I was going to ask. Was it inspiring to you at all to see them out there putting in all this work or did you just think they were crazy? Oh no, definitely inspiring. You know, I I just think, you know, anyone putting in work is definitely going to inspire you, but at the same time, it granted with that as well. Like it's, that's a, it's a long time, you know, to be running and to, uh, on your feet the way that they were. So. I don't want to skip over the basketball piece because it's such a big part of you and your story, but take me to that first quote unquote official run that you ever went on. Oh, wow. As far as like just running just casually, um, um, it was um, Blacklist, uh, Blacklist LA and um, a friend of mine invited me out and um, that night was just, again, never forget it. Um, I met People like my brother Marvin Garcia, you know, Carlos. I mean, it's, it's Carlos, uh, Eric, you know, which is uh, him and Carlos are the one of the, some of the founders of, of Blacklist or the founders of Blacklist. And, and just meeting numerous people and, and those relationships just kind of just just grew on me. And they were the ones that invited me out. And um, I just listened to them and, and also appreciating the good energy that was out there. And, um, and it kept me going. It kept me coming, and I don't know if you know too much about Blacklist LA. Their runs are uh, Monday nights at ten o'clock at night, so mm-hmm. it's like you, you got to be pretty motivated to <laughs> to get out there at that time of night because you're not done sometimes close to midnight, depending you know if you're out socializing after the runs. And, um, but it was just just inspirational, you know. It was just tons of tons and tons of people who I came in contact there in my initial parts of running. Um, attending that that run group and um i'll never again never will never forget it and you were still playing basketball at the time am i right correct yeah i was driving from san dimas california which is pretty much west cabina all the way to downtown la so that's about a over an hour yeah it's not a quick drive (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so i was definitely um in search of just some peace of mind and that's that was my initial part uh reasons for even going Initially, it was just to get a peace of mind to get, kind of just get away from the situations I was uh, I was facing at, at college. 
Well, let's dig into that. What was the situation that you were facing at college at that time? It was just toxic situations um, that no one should should want to um, take part in. You know, just drama. I mean, just with I mean, basketball is basketball. That's a drama within itself, and and it was just a lot for 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 myself. Who I transparent. I'm a mental person. You know, I like to be. If I'm mentally. Um, in a good place, I'm great. If I'm not mentally in a good place, it's it's not the best. So a lot of just negative energy and it kind of just um, took its toll on myself. And with that, I ended up, again, not being able to pursue basketball no longer. And so it ended up being a, bless- a blessing in disguise, actually, which was probably one of the hardest days of my life when that actually w- was official, that basketball was done. Because I gave so much to the sport, you know, gave so much to just try and make it, you know, and it never came easy. I never, it never went too well, but I was persistent with it because I wanted to, you know, pursue our dream, you know, and, and that was, uh, it was big for me. When you were going through that, were you looking for another outlet or did it just happen to fall into your lap when your friend invited you along to that run? It, it literally fell right into my lap. I, again, I wasn't mentally in a, in a place of trying to search for anything. You know, if anything was just trying to, just pursue, pursue, pursue through what I was going through. And um, my mind was usually always wrapped up in that situation. So, so any positive energy, I was like, I would cling to it, you know, and that was like the only positivity at the moment at that time in my life. So um, it literally, really, really, literally fell in my lap. That first run you went on with Blacklist LA, do you remember how far it was? I think it was three miles, maybe slightly more, maybe three and a half. Um, and it was just, again, like just breathless, Mario. Like I'm just running. I'm just going. I, I think I was in my basketball. I was in my practice basketball shorts and some basketball shoes <laughs> at the time. So, oh no, actually, some, it was some some training shoes, but nothing running wise. But um, running with some 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 great people in there, and 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 it was just again just free flowing. That initial experience, did you feel like you belong there? Or did you feel like an outsider being there in your basketball shoes, you know, in your basketball shorts? I, I mean, I know the Blacklist LA group, it's, it's large. It's very diverse. Um, you've got people in there who come from all different backgrounds and experience levels. I'd love to get a little insight on that from you. I mean, I wouldn't say I felt like I belong, but I also didn't feel like an outsider. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, when you look around, you look at what everyone's wearing. I think everyone does that no matter where you go. Sure. Um, but I knew I was definitely under and overdressed, you know. <laughs> so, you know, as I kept going, I, you know, I ended up buying some some Nike free runs. Those were my first pair of actual running shoes I think I had. And instead of coming in um, my basketball practice shorts, I would start wearing some tights, you know, under my basketball shorts. So I slowly started losing layers and gaining some layers at the same time. So it was, um, it's progressed a lot more than what it is now. <laughs> at what point did you begin to identify as a runner? Um, I think after my first workout with Coach Blue Benedum. Um, but also even to backtrack a little, a little bit from that is again, during Black of Soleil, someone challenged and encouraged me to, to run, you know, at a, at a, at a higher level than what I currently was at. And, um, again, marathon is huge in LA, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, 
I would hear that, but I never really like honored it, you know. And then once I reached out to Coach Blue Bendin, that's kind of when Nike, the Nike Run clothes were pretty popular. Yep, I I literally got in right as that died off, <laughs> you know. So after going to a couple of Tuesday uh, track workouts with with, with with Nike and Coach Blue Bendin, and uh, right away I looked up to Coach Blue, Coach Blue, you know, and he also added me on to one of his teams. Uh, with Royal Arcos, which is a, a great runner here in LA, and and, and um, a couple other people doing like a 400 uh, meter uh, race on top of a parking structure in downtown LA. And um, after him giving me the opportunity, I of course looked up to him and reached out to him. I, hey, coach, you know, I'm, I'm new to this, um, but I'd love if you can mentor me, you know, and I initially went to him as like, you know, I may be interested in a mile or 5K, you know, because I did have a little bit of track speed from track, you know. Yeah. And uh, so my mind, even to think about a mile or 5K was even huge. But um, I went to him with, with that kind of mindset. And he was like, Marquise, honestly, there's no progression in, the, you know, in those uh, those events because you, you, you definitely would need to have been doing that at a younger age, you know, and, and tell me about the marathon. I'm like, oh. You know, <laughs> and um, and um, I trusted him, still do, and I I, I appreciate his guidance, and um, I went on with it, and and then it was just it's been a, a wild roller coaster, beautiful journey so far. Is that when you first started to think of this new running hobby of yours as a potential competitive pursuit? Oh yeah, especially after my first marathon, twenty seventeen. Um, that's when. Um, I mean, I honestly, at that time, honestly, more, I didn't think, I didn't really think about the competitive side. I really believe much. I mean, of course I'm competitive, you know, as far as like, now I don't look to like, how can I say, um, be too competitive with the person next to me. You know, I'm competitive with myself and wanting to do better and always progress. Um, but after Chicago, you know, blue, um, just encouraged me like Marquise, you have something to tap into. You have something more in you. And I just believed it, you know, and, and um, I just wanted to continue to nurture that and still do to this day and forever, you know, so him being my first initial coach and into marathoning, it's something I'm so appreciative of and grateful for. Before I follow up on that, the coach in me has to ask, what kind of speed did you have when you were on the track team at Long Beach City College? Um, for my, so I, I specialized in the 200. I was not good at all in the 100. <laughs> so I think at the 100 meter, my PR was like 11.1 or something like 11.2. So not, nothing, nothing crazy. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, mean, I mean, correlating it with the teammates I ran with and the people I ran against. Like I was always in like, the third and fourth heat, which is technically the slower people. So I was, I wasn't that good <laughs> in the 200. I think I ran at 22 low. Oh, geez. So I'm laughing. I'm laughing because dude, that's really fast. Uh, I mean, I coach a lot of distance runners, some very like high level <laughs> distance runners and, and exactly none of them have 11 second, hundred meter speed or 22 second, oh. 200 meter speed somewhere in their legs. Oh, more. I was always playing catch up. That's the side of me. Sure, where sure. Like, I get, I get I it. Scary is a lot of track because I was running against guys and running with the guys on my team who were just remarkable. So I, I always dreamed of trying to crack 11 or sure, sure. Get to 21 second for the 200. You know, I even didn't really, at the time, didn't really, really know how fast I was. And even at that time, I was still kind of going off of just 
what I had in the tank. I mean, granted, we have practice and stuff, but I was right. just going about it one day at a time. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I get that at the collegiate level, especially here in California, where there is a really, really strong like junior college system. Like, I, I understand like 11 low and 22 and change isn't going to cut it in the 100 yeah, and yeah. 200. But if you're a distance runner with that kind of speed, those kind of wheels, like you can go some places. Uh, anything from the mile to the marathon eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's it's a time in my life again. Like I will never forget those practices. Like practices were not easy. Like having to wear spikes all day and, and mm-hmm. coming from not wearing spikes at all. I remember having shin issues a lot, and it was a lot of. I mean, even just I mean, track meets were amazing. Like I like I can't wait to have kids, and I want them to experience that. You know, like track meets were a lot of fun. <laughs> Whether you're sprints or distance, like it was some of the best days of. of of, of my life um, in, in that time. Just as a, a point of reference, when you went on that first run with Blacklist LA, how many years ago was that? Was it like four or five years ago at this yeah, point? Yeah, about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're talking like 2015, 2016. Yeah, well, maybe, tw- maybe yeah, maybe 2013, 2014. I'm sorry, I can't quite remember Mario, but that sounds about right. I mean, between four or five years. Okay. So you're in your mid-20s, more or less, at the time. You had this kind of like souring relationship with basketball, or at least your experience with it at that point of your life. And this this running thing is still just a a hobby. It's something you're dipping your toes into. Like, how were you thinking about your life at at that point? Like, what direction you wanted to take it? Was the basketball dream completely dead? Were you thinking about other things? I'd I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Um... I know basketball was dead, but I still had a spark in me, you know, to still play. But I was just honoring my current uh, current life at the time. And, and I had no direction, to be honest. Like, I was just a leaf in the air, you know, and I'm um, still trying to figure life out <laughs> to this day, you know. But um, I was just – I try to – I was raised to stay in the moment, you know, and to stay in the moment and, and just believe for, for the better better of tomorrow. You know, so I think every day just to stay in the moment. What were you studying in school? Um, at that particular school, I was studying, uh, I was studying, uh, I think, psychology. Um, okay. So psychology, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have any ambitions outside of sport at the time or was school just a vehicle for you to play basketball? I think it was just the vehicle of basketball. Um Nothing too much outside of that because, again, like my eggs were kind of all in that basket, mm-hmm. you know. So and um, even growing up, my, my grandmother and, and, and loved ones always pushed me to find a backup plan, which is definitely the the way to, to do with anything. You know, um, we never know what again, we never know what tomorrow may bring. So my grandma, we had a couple of ruffles, ruffle tuffles, and <laughs> if that makes sense in, in regards to sport of basketball and I can honestly say she was right, <laughs> you know? So, but uh, again, everything happens for a reason. Let's pump the brakes right here and hit rewind. Where did you grow up? Uh, so I'm, I'm an inner city kid uh, here in LA, uh, born and raised in Carson Compton, which is kind of next to each other. Uh, so Carson Compton, California. And what was your life like growing up in Carson Compton, California? Um, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't totally good. Um, was raised... Um, my mother uh, left when I was very young, uh, moved to Texas 
and I was raised without my father. Um, so my grandmother uh, raised me along with my aunts and all my uncles. And so I was been, I'm a huge grandma's boy, <laughs> still a mama's boy, you know, but grandma's boy is, is by, by trait and with everything in me. And I had to meet my father to the first time. So I was 20, 25, 26 years old. So um, just with, with those kind of limitations, um, uh, life is definitely a challenge, as I'm sure it is for everybody, you know, with or without parents, you know. So I just try not to look at my story as being anything different. We're all we all fought a hard battle, you know, you know, um, growing up and some more than others, I'm sure. But um, yeah, growing up wasn't wasn't the easiest, but it wasn't it wasn't bad. Yeah, I mean, we've all got our unique challenges. And when you're growing up in a place, like all you know is all you know. You don't really know um, anything differently, like how other people, you know, maybe two yeah. cities over, I mean, maybe you do, but are, are growing up or how, what people's life is like, you know, in, you know, in another state. It's like that, that becomes normalized, like whatever your, your own situation is. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Did you have a relationship with your mom when she moved away? Uh, yeah, we did. It wasn't, it wasn't the best. You know, um, but I, I can say I had a relationship with my mom. You know, I wish we always talked more, but we didn't talk as much as I will have liked. Um, so it, it, it definitely had an effect on me. You know, I, I definitely remember situations where I knew my mom was coming into town uh, from Texas where she moved to. And um, I always I, I remember a day specifically where I'm literally sitting on a sidewalk waiting for my mom to come and she didn't come. You know, so that communication wasn't always there. And um, but I just kind of found a way to flip all that, that the energy around to, to positive. But um, I definitely wish our relationship was better. And, and this, it's and I wouldn't say it's the same now. But you, when you as a kid and you, you you're so accustomed to something, this doesn't bother you no more. <laughs> you know, I'm just grateful to have my mom in my life. Yeah. Did you carry resentment as a kid? Uh, no, I, I don't think I had the chance. I mean, I did have a chance. It was a choice, obviously. Um, but again, I think that with the love of my grandmother and uh, my loved ones in sports, uh, no, it, I kind of have to flip that energy around, you know, and it wasn't easy. You know, I, I resentment only came when I was maybe getting picked up by my neighbor's father or or other people's parents were there at a war banquet or back to school night when I didn't have anybody there. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have I wouldn't say resentment, but just like. You know, like, oh, man, you know, type of thing. But um, I just tell myself, just keep on going, you know, at a young age. So I have to grow up pretty, pretty quickly at a younger age. What are some of your earliest memories of your grandmother oh. growing up with her? <laughs> just, just watching how she operates, you know. And uh, um, we're all close to my grandmother. My grandma was just a, a selfless person, you know. And she, she got up, worked early, sometimes took the bus to work, so... I remember as a child, as a kid growing up, like I would, she would get up. I would, Cause I would normally always sleep in the bed with my grandmother. Cause that's just how it was. <laughs> so she would get up, I would get up and I will kind of, as she's getting ready for work, I would be making like strawberry, strawberry milk <laughs> and just, just drinking strawberry milk until she leaves to work. Like that's just one thing I cherish for my entire childhood. Um, up to 10 years old doing, you know, it's things like that, you know, and she was just again, just a level, a loving person. Still is, at a, at a, and just, 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 just. Oh my God, I can't, I can't. Just so many words, I can't, I can't choose one. But just selfless, that's the biggest one. Just love, genuine love. And did you learn mostly just from watching her 
operate or would she sit you down from time to time and say, Marquise, this is how it is? I mean, not really. I think it was all through action. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, my family weren't very, we weren't like everyone sit at the dinner table and, you know, how was your day type of thing. It was always just, again, just love and action. Uh, we didn't have too much communication like that, which I, I, I wish I did, but it it's it worked out uh, for myself and my family, you know, and for the most part, all really close, you know. Did you have siblings and cousins around or did you grow up as an only child? Oh, no, I was, I'm the middle. So I had an older sister and me and my sister are so close. That, like, that's, that's, that's my everything too. You know, my sister has done so much for me and I have a younger brother and we're close, but we're not as close um, as we should. But he moved with text. He moved to text with my mom. Um, so that, that's mostly the reason behind that. And then I lived in the house with all five of my cousins at the same time as well. So, um, at one point in time, we all stayed in the same house together, which is my grandma's house. Um, so, mm-hmm. what are some of your earliest memories of sports coming into your life? Whether it was you know backyard basketball or the first team that you ever joined? Oh, I mean, even before even came to uh, organized sports, it was playing football in the street with like my neighbors and having all the. We call them old heads, <laughs> where I'm from, having them all out there watching this play. So that's kind of where it started, as well as basketball. Like my, my best friend, Sir John Thomas, was my neighbor. And then we, me and him were tight. He still is my best friend. And again, out in the front yard playing playing basketball at our other neighbor, Barry Hez's house, and, and, and all through the day. And um and I was learning from them because they're they were really great and phenomenal sports as well. So we were always train together, play together. But it started in front of the house in the street, you know. So when did you first start to show some promise in basketball where people took notice and told you that you could be good at it? Uh, um I wanna say one of my first coaches uh, from my church league. Um, I didn't believe in myself whatsoever. I had a terrible sh- jump shot. I shot from like my hip, <laughs> but I will always show up. And uh, his name was Coach Billy and Coach Horace, who also both have actually passed away um, uh, within the last couple of years. And um, they they gave me a shot as like a general manager uh, kind of role, but in the church league, but also let me play as well. I remember hitting my first shot ever in church league and the gym went crazy. So I think it sparked from that. Um, and I just try to honor that, um, that situation, that, that energy and just kind of kept rolling with it. You just mentioned how you didn't believe in yourself at the time. Is that still the case for you sometimes today? Or have you been able to grow out of that and gain more confidence? Uh, It's definitely better uh, than what it used to be. Cause again, like, not to not to play the blame game, but I, I would think you know, um, being raised by a father, a father gives you that that kind of instruction, you know, to to make sure that doesn't happen, you know, and not having to have that in my life. We're gonna have uncles, but it's different than your father, you know, and um, so I have to discover that on my own. I still battle with it. There's days where I know I, I don't, I wouldn't say I don't believe in myself, but the confidence is low when it maybe shouldn't be, but I just have to work through it and. Um, Constantly, always reminding myself to you know to 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 get the best out of myself. 
aside from your coaches, did you have any other fatherly figures in your life? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, coach Richard Salgado, uh, which is like my college coach. Um, he was a big mentor for me. Um, my uncle, my uncle Jerome, my uncle Sean, um, so many, <laughs> uh, my brother Keon Kindred, who was, who, who was like my trainer in college. Again, guys who, men who, who just were just role models for me. I know I'm missing a lot of people because so many people, um, have helped me, you know, especially in that time of my life, but that's just, you know, basketball mentors who, um, started out early, but the, the list has definitely grown and people I just look up to a lot. You mentioned how your dad came back into your life yeah. in your mid-20s. Sounds like right around the same time that you started to find running. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was part of the most horrific, most beautiful thing ever. <laughs> um, so um, to kind of a speedy story of it, uh, I used to work at 24 Hour Fitness back in that time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, 24 Hour Fitness has a database of a kajillion people. <laughs> so um, I used to work the early morning shift on the weekends, um, like 5 a.m. And there's days where, you know, people weren't in the gym, you know, that early. Uh, but it's still a good amount of people. But it was quiet one day. And um, I used to think about my dad a lot, you know, and one some days more than others. And that particular day, I was thinking about my dad. And um, I knew his name, obviously. So I typed my dad's name in the database, Norman Bowden. And it popped up and literally everything just went quiet around me. <laughs> like literally just, just quiet. And um, I wrote the number down on, on a sheet of paper and I ended up calling uh, the number on file, which was my auntie Sean, which is my dad's sister. And I left a voicemail like, hey, my name is Marquise Bowden and I think I'm your son. <laughs> not, not knowing that it wasn't my dad's, uh, dad's number, but I thought it was his number. So I, I said something along the lines of that and ended up getting a call back maybe two days later and um, from my auntie Sean and she was ecstatic. And um, um, at the time, I guess my dad was in jail. So my dad was been to and from out of jail, you know, uh, as I grew up, even in my later parts of my twenties as well. And um, he ended up getting- Did you know any of that or did you find out after the fact? After the fact, but I mean, at the same time, you know, when a father is not, come, from where I come from, there's only two or three reasons why your dad is on your life, you know? Mm -hmm. So I knew that it was one of the reasons, you know? And um, fast forward, it came time to the moment I met my dad. He came over to my grandma's house and I was just like, what's up, dad? And it was, it was crazy. I didn't cry, but it was a moment that, that, that just took all the air out of me. And from there on out, me and my dad had increased our relationship by a thousand. Still don't, you know, communicate, but when we do, it's special. Um, but it, it was also like a, a negative side to that. You know, my dad, I mean, long story short, come to find out my mom wasn't the best person either, you know, um, and uh, coming from, uh, with understanding that from my father. So my dad ended up taking me to get a DNA test. I'm I'm already like 26, 27 years old and, and kind of covered it up with like, hey, let's go get lunch. So that was very demeaning, you know, and then learning things about my mother, it, and so it was just, it was a tough time in, in that day. But I, again, tried to flip that negative energy into like, hey, I know my father now. And I just remember being on such a high and, um, and test came back and 
a hundred thousand percent. That's my father. So <laughs> um, from that day on, you know, we just just hung out, talked here and there, nothing crazy. And he ended up coming to one of my basketball games, and, and that was like a dream come true. You know, I never had my father, or even sometimes no family, as at my at my sporting events. You know, so I was just in again in awe. Did it feel like a missing piece of the puzzle had been put into place? Oh, 100%. Like, I felt like a new person. Because um, you have this missing piece. You have this. You have a full puzzle of a thousand pieces, and you have 99, you know, there. You know, and so I finally had that one piece to be able to check it out for it to be a thousand. I felt completely renewed. I remember training when uh, everything was going great, you know, because I had, I had a piece of me was filled. So I was definitely operating at a different level at that time of my life because I was just in such a great place. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine on some level too, before that, like, you know, there's this missing piece there Mm -hmm. and you're like, you know, it'd be great if I could fill this in. But as you get older, you're like, "Eh, it's probably not going to happen. Like that missing piece is always going to be there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I I thought directly like that, but, but, a hundred percent, if that if that makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. You kind of you never you never really think about it, you know. Of course, you're like, oh, it'll be nice, or I wish, you know. But I never seen it happening, you know, and I never thought it would happen the way that it did. Also, you know, so um, it's definitely something that has motored my life. And my dad is again, even recently, like when 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 the Trapsman situation came about, and that and I sent that to him. That was so powerful for me to send that to my dad and yeah. text me back and say he's proud of me. Um, I I couldn't believe it, you know. Even to this day, like my aunt, you know, I watch it every day. You know, it's so it's something to be able to give my family, you know, something to see. You know, and again, I mean, just but my dad, you know, that's special. You know, very special. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that. It gives me goosebumps to hear Thank you. you describe that and I know it's not easy stuff to talk about but it's such an important piece of of your story and you know for me like putting the the puzzle pieces of your story together I'm certainly not going to get all of them in this conversation like that feels like a pretty darn big one um right there that you know that that really connects a lot of things so thank you no problem thank you thank you for the opportunity you we're talking a little earlier about your grandmother, how she is your everything. You've leaned on her for a lot. When you're going through that, like just confusing, difficult period in your life, how does she help you to navigate it? Oh, my, my grandmother's a, a woman. A, I mean, I feel like grandmothers are in general just filled with so much wisdom, you know, and, and just, just know the right things to say. And sometimes my grandma would, would, would ramble and it'd be totally off subject, but it was, it was always powerful. You know, and my grandmother was just always been there, you know, and even situations that she didn't really agree with, you know, like, why are you doing this? Like, just stay home or, you know, uh, with anything, you know, my my grandma is just, she's been here for me, you know, there's nothing better than time, you know, anyone that gives you their time is precious. My grandmother always gave me her time and gave everyone her time, you know, so just her being there is, is more than enough. Man, that really resonates with me. As I was telling you before we hit record on this conversation, I 
was fortunate to have an incredible relationship with my grandmother for 38 years of my life. And she passed earlier this year at the age of 92. And fortunately, until like the day she died, she was completely with it mentally. And it didn't matter whenever I called her, when I would go home, or I think back to interactions that I had as a kid, the amount, I mean, I could, I could fill like an encyclopedia's yeah. worth of, of like wisdom yeah. from the stuff that she taught me all the way up until she passed away. And even like, you know, through her passing and like, like you, like, I just feel really fortunate to have someone like that in my life. And for me, as I've, as I've gotten older and I like to think a little wiser and more mature, I can actually look back and see very specifically the ways that, you know, she shaped the way that I think about things, how I handle situations, how I treat people, um, how I make decisions. And it sounds like you have a, a, you know, a very similar relationship with your grandmother now. And, and I really think it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mario. Again, I'm so sorry to hear about your grandmother. Cause I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what I would do if I lost my grandmother, you know, and, and my grandmother, she's just like, I can, I can come home to visit, you know, on the weekend and, or just come over for one day, half of a day, you know, uh, call me when you make it home. Something as strong as that goes a long way, you know, not sharing any wisdom, but just feeling that care that grandma gives is, you just don't experience that from you know, too many people or too many things, but only a grandmother can do or a mother, you know? So, um, again, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Yeah. It's a really special bond. If I can give you any advice as someone who did lose his grandmother earlier this year, and we all lose people at various points of our life. Um, and it's hard when someone has such a profound impact on you and holds such a special place, they're always going to hold that place. But Make and, and this goes for anyone, like any relationship in your life that you really value, like make the most of, of every moment and make the effort to keep those lines of communication open, to check in with one another. And when you have the opportunity to spend time in one another's presence, like just make that really special. I know, I know for me, and I was telling you earlier, I've lived away from where I grew up for the past 10 years. So I didn't get to see my grandmother on you know, a, a weekly basis like I used to. It was like every three months or maybe every six months, but it was always my first stop when I got home and always the last stop before I head to the airport. And like those few hours that I, I would spend with her, I would just cherish so, so much, yeah. um, especially knowing like she was up there in age, I lived far away and not to be morbid or anything, but you're like, you know what, if this is the last time we actually get to like spend with each other, we're going to try and make it as, as special as possible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've been through a lot of, of other stuff in my life, like losing my mom suddenly and not having that opportunity that, you know, I made sure to like really value that. So I guess that's my, my rambling, like not just takeaway for you, but anyone listening to this, like you have, if you have a relationship in your life, Life that you you know really value, and even if it can potentially go on for a long time, and I, I hope it does, like really try to make the most of those moments that you have to spend with each other, those conversations you get to share, you know, over the phone, text message, whatever it may be. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Mario. Definitely be sure to do that always, and I, I mean, I appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit more about your relationship with basketball growing up, when did you really start to focus on it and just put this like single-mindedness into it, knowing that's what you wanted to do above all else? Uh, I think fresh out of high school, um, uh, I had the opportunity um, to to do something that not too many people get to do. And um, um, so where I live at in Carson is directly near 
a college called Cal State Dominguez. And um, my aunt, <laughs> my auntie Candy, which is again my backbone as well. She's I love her, love her so much. She worked. She was a custodian. So my my auntie was a custodian, cleaned the grounds, cut the trees, cleaned the restrooms. But she was really close um, with all the staff there, and and more so the the basketball coach, Coach Max Ward. Um, he, he loved my auntie. <laughs> it was just like Candy. I'm always looking out for you. So. We used to go to Cal State Dominguez's basketball camp. Well, I did. <laughs> and um, auntie got me into the camp there in the summertime. And uh, Coach Ward allowed me to to help out with the campers. And um, granted, I'm still – I'm fresh out of high school. Again, didn't play that much in high school also. I wasn't that good, um, but I know I had a desire. And um, Coach Ward uh, allowed me to – also take part into a, a situation where he had a connection to a place called Athletes Performance, which was uh, pretty much at the Home Depot Center at the time, which is it's called the StubHub Center now, where the Galaxy play and the Chargers will, will used to play. So there was a, there was a performance-based uh, gym there that would train professional athletes from anything you could think of. And um, so they had a basketball uh, portion of that, and I was a ball boy for it. Uh, for athletes' performance through the connection of Max Ward. And so um, I used to uh, be the ball boy for Andre Karolinko, which used to play for Utah Jazz. Yep. McCoy used to play with the Lakers back in the day. Fred Jones and um, Kenny Beckway. And it, it was J.R. Smith used to come through there. And um, and um, he gave me an opportunity, Marquise, you can do this for a summer. And what I'll do is I'll offer you a scholarship to play for Cal State Dominguez. And I was, mine was blown. Yeah. <laughs> mine was blown. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. And then there was a backside of it to where my cousin, nothing to do with basketball, had an opportunity to go for me to go to Cal State Northridge, <laughs> which is in the Valley, strictly on school, nothing to do with basketball. But again, my grandmother and my family is like, basketball's not going to be forever. School, mm-hmm. obviously school's number one, no matter what, you know, but education. I decided to go with Cal State Northridge and in hopes to maybe try out for the team, but knowing that that was even far-fetched because I'm not that good. I had no high school tape. Um, <laughs> I played left bench in high school, but, you know, played on a great high school team. So I went there in hopes for an opportunity to try out. It never happened. And with knowing that, I checked out out of Northridge. And I came back home to L.A. and went the junior college route. So that's how it, it began. and. I still think it was the best decision for me, but I do wish I did go to Costa the biggest out of high school. <laughs> what did your grandmother say to you when you came back from Cal State Northridge and went to junior college? Um, she, um, the, trying to think back at it, um, it was actually a blessing because financially I couldn't afford it. You know, I was living in uh, living in an apartment with my cousin, um, and she, my grandmother was helping me with my rent. You know. And because um, for me to focus primarily on school. And so it, it came to a point where we battle financial issues, you know, my entire life. My grandmother was the main income. And my grandmother ended up retiring, you know, so she couldn't afford it. My rent, it was like, I ended up trying to find a job, but it was tough, you know, and didn't even know how to properly build a resume. Ended up building a resume, but still shopped around. I was applying to like Chuck E. Cheese, coffee shops, you know, at that time, and nothing, nothing came up. So I ended up, I'm just gonna go back home. 
you know, so I checked into a junior college and shot myself around. And that's how junior college is. It's cutthroat. You got to go like I, I was literally working out with like four schools at one time, you know, just again, trying to find a spot on the team. And that was like my main focus, my main energy is just finding school. And it ended up, ended up happening. But again, it never went smooth, Mario. Like, never fully had an opportunity. And I think it was mostly because mentally I wasn't in a good place. I mean, I, w- I didn't have that mental strength, you know, that I would have liked, have liked to. But granted, I still worked my butt off. That's what gave me opportunities in basketball. I, all I had was hard work. That's, that's all I've known. That's all I still only know. So that was 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 it for me. It's just working hard, and, and that's what helped me. And eventually, you get a scholarship. Was just persistence and working hard. Where does that work ethic come from? For sure, my grandmother, and I think um, growing up without a mom and a dad. You know, nothing was ever handed. We had to work for everything. You know, and but just also just seeing that's what's needed to survive in this world is is. Is, is the art of working hard, you know, and, and I never, so to this, I don't expect anything. Like, I'm just, I just want to work hard, you know, and I think I just take pride with having the magic and things, you know, I just want things to always go well. I know things will not always go well, but I think my grandmother and me growing up, definitely with that chip on my shoulder and just, just having to work hard. What was that breakthrough for you in junior college that gave you the opportunity to get off the bench and play a little bit? Um, I think it's just opportunity uh, that, that had just happened to come. But, and again, it never went well. I never had a flat out opportunity, you know, to, to be, to think back. I, I never really actually played a full junior college season. <laughs> like I registered, gray shirted at, at multiple schools. Um, went through a whole summer of workouts, but was just kept on the team but never played, you know? And um, not a lot of people know that, you know, you'll see me at this school, you know, I was just there practicing every day, but never had the opportunity because I, maybe because I wasn't good enough, but I know I worked hard. I I feel like any teammate that I've had, and I'm grateful for every single team that I had, I think I was also only, only known for work working hard. And I was just that scrappy guy that, Love to play defense because I had to. Because the only way I was going to get any time, any kind of light. So I kind of made that into my, my, my thing. So, but I, I just think this happened to just have to work a little, a little bit harder than the next person. You eventually moved on from basketball, and we are going to get into that here in a little bit. But what drove you to stay with it for? as long as you did when for so long you just felt like you were beating your head against the wall and not getting anywhere. Oh, I just feel like this next situation is going to be it, you know, and uh, when mm-hmm. the opportunity came to play at, a, at an actual university, um, that time it, 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 it was going great. And then again, the finances came about, about and I had to move back home again after junior college. So I had to come back home again. I even tried to go to junior college again. And mind you, Mario, I'm, I'm old, <laughs> you know, you know, the thing with basketball and junior college is if you, if you have time on your clock, no matter how old you are, you can go if you, if it doesn't bother you. And I was on the older side, so trying to play junior college basketball. So I was, I was fighting for this dream that I feel like I had in me, but it never went good. It never went great. I had good moments. Don't get me wrong. I had good moments and uh, moments of that, 
that showed that I was good enough. But um, I think I just think that with all the hardship, it just kind of like it weighed on me and uh, time after time. But I just always just chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. Was the ultimate goal to eventually go pro? Oh, I mean, definitely. You know, I wouldn't say NBA, but like overseas was where my mm-hmm. mindset was a possible D-League. Like there was always a D-League trial going on. I even had teammates who tried out. Um, so my mind was, okay, I might have a possibility of, you know, all this fails, like come back home and try out somewhere. You know, that was always the, the, the backup plan. And um, it never, never worked out. All right, we're going to fast forward back to running now. You mentioned earlier how you came under the tutelage of Coach Blue Benedum, who I'm fortunate enough to know and will eventually get on this podcast because he's doing some pretty incredible things in the LA running community and beyond. But you you talked about how you started going to some of his workouts, and that's when you first started to identify as a runner. Take me back to that time and what that like transition into being a runner was like for you? Like what was the, the toll like on your body coming from basketball? Like mentally, how were you thinking about it in those early days? I'd love to get a little insight on those. My, my body took a beating. Like it was literally <laughs> the worst. Uh, it was hard. It was very challenging. I, even like the first initial actual workout that I did with Coach Blue Benedum, it wasn't a workout for myself. I was just tagging along that. You know, Blue actually invited me out. Uh, I believe uh, at the time, Coach Blue was coaching uh, a running car role. And I think the the workout was a lot of 400s, more than 15. It was, I can't remember the exact amount. And um, and uh, I ran in with Coach Blue. Raul was doing his thing. But the, the workout was 400s, a lot of them. I think I lasted to do 12 or 13. This is off of basketball, pretty much. Still basketball, but still some running, you know. Uh, no base. No base. Zero base. No base. <laughs> and um, that was my first initial, and I was hooked after that. Um, but to fast forward further than that in preparation for Chicago, which was my first marathon, I ended up getting hurt. Uh, training started off great. Amazing, obviously. Uh, I had some more running under my – I actually did have a base, but not much of a base, but I had more of a base than I had previously. And um, I ended up – long story short, I got hurt. Even ran Chicago uh, marathon, pretty much hurt. Um, first marathon, first marathon, and that hurt. And my body definitely wasn't used to marathoning at, at all whatsoever. So I, I had a lot of challenges uh, to, to to hurdle over. What were the biggest lessons or takeaways from that first marathon? Getting hurt in the build up to it, running it hurt, but still coming across the line. I believe in like three hundred six or three hundred nine, something in that you know in that range. I mean, an impressive debut by you know by any measure, um, but in the reflection on it, what were the biggest takeaways for you that you knew you needed to address so that you could do this in a healthy, sustainable, and competitive way? Oh, there was a couple of things. Um, definitely mileage, you know, increasing mileage, increasing uh, quality. But to even before I even get into that, I have to be healthy, you know. So I think after that, uh, we definitely took a different approach, you know, in the sense of making sure I got healthy before I did anything. So I, I knew that was the first and foremost thing is to, is to get healthy. And I still didn't get healthy even after that per se. Just my body just took me, a, it took me a lot longer to get my body used to marathoning. And so I know Blue used to call it, he, he calls it callousing the body. Mm-hmm. And I, I always hear him referring to that. You got to callous the body, callous the body. And 
I think that that calcium of the body, it came. And I think even though like that, like granted, I, all that hurt that I went through, I think I still took on some, some fitness. I still took on some, some good stuff, you know, within that. And so as uh, my body got stronger and better and things kind of started to just open up little by little. And, um, and I'm grateful for that. Even though it was a hard time for me, I, I'm still grateful for the hard times. As you were getting more immersed in running and starting to train harder and becoming a part of the community in LA, mm -hmm. what were your observations of the culture of running that was going on around you at that time? Oh, the support. Um, the, the support in LA, I'm sure it is in New York, you know, Boston, all the great holy mecca places of running, the support mm -hmm. in LA is, no, is like no other. Again, it's the only thing I know <laughs> that I can go off because, you know, um, but the support and the, and the encouragement, no matter what may happen to you, um, in the sense that if you're able to finish a marathon, not not do not do as good as you would like to, the support that everyone has is is catastrophic. And um, and and if you are going for something, people are behind you 100. percent You know, so that I love the community here. Um, I'm sure anyone can attest to that. What were some of the biggest differences coming from like basketball culture, obviously team sport, you know, you bounce around from program to program. I mean, it's something that you did in an official capacity, but then you'd mess around with your friends. You're on the playground quite a bit yeah. um, and running culture, like being in a group like Blacklist LA initially, then joining like a slightly more competitive group and starting to think about races. I mean, I've, I've experienced both myself being a former basketball player, but I came into it a lot earlier than you did. And I'm, I'm like really curious to just kind of get your take on the differences between the two cultures getting into this, like in your mid to late twenties. Oh man. I, I think basketball is more cutthroat. Um, like it's more, it's just like, <laughs> I cannot, I'm trying to think of a word that kind of fits it, but it's just like just strong, you know, like there's no looking back. You got to just, it's just, just cutthroat. That's the only, that's a word that's kind of just resonates with me, but running is the support again is next level, you know? And, um, I still think it's, I still think running marathon is, is much more, it's a team sport as well. Like mm -hmm. especially if you're running, you're sharing miles with teammates, which I was fortunate enough to do that with, I mean, uh, I'm in Joe Garcia, Gordon Clark at the time, uh, uh, we, I ran my first 20 miler with these guys, like, and we still talk about it to this day, like how magical, uh, how special that was, you know. Um, so I, I, I just think that the the love of the sport is more so enriched than it is in basketball. Like, it, you get more love. Um, basketball is more so only when you're doing good sometimes, you know. And um, running, no matter what may happen, it's it's. Not saying it's not saying expecting for it to be soft and sweet and just loving, but no matter what happens, you're getting that support that you need. Does running feel like more of a lifestyle to you than basketball, or is it just a different type of lifestyle? I think it's a different type of lifestyle. Lifestyle. Um, both are both are amazing. Um, at the end of the day, this running has just been a thing that it, it doesn't feel. Like it's a, a hardship, <laughs> you know, basketball can feel like a hardship sometimes. Again, if it's not going well, you're in a hole. I'm sure it's the same with running. If you can't beat that time, you're looking to get into, you feel like you're in a hole. But just the, the, the feeling behind it for me is just a lot different mm -hmm. um, in so many ways. Uh, 
the sport, I, I just love it. And I love both, honestly. Um, but running is just, again, so special to me. I don't want to skip too far ahead yet, but as you continue to get better as a runner and more competitive at, say, the marathon specifically, and your goals go higher and higher and higher, do you ever worry about it, you know, becoming kind of like basketball, you know, in, in that way where it becomes like maybe a little bit more cutthroat or sort of like do or die and that takes away some of the enjoyment that you have experienced to this point? Uh, I kind of have. You know, um, I have, but I kind of have it. <laughs> like, I'm just, again, just ain't been saying in a moment, uh, not trying to look too far ahead. Even if there was a moment I was looking too far ahead and, and my coach Omar, it was just like, no, stay in a moment. You know, kind of paraphrasing it, but mm-hmm. um, I was just enjoying the moment, uh, Mario. And I just, I try to continue to always do that. Yeah, I, I have to look ahead because you got to know where you got to go, you know, where you're trying to get to. Um, I'm just trying to literally just stay in the moment in, 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 in regards to that. Those type of things. Mm-hmm. Running in basketball, the demands are distance running in basketball specifically. The demands are, are very different. I mean, you got basketball. It's very, you know, explosive, short bursts. Uh, you're moving in different planes. You're cutting quickly running. You're, you might run around a corner and take a turn, but you're pretty much moving in one plane of motion. Um, it's not as hard on your body from like a jumping standpoint. It's hard on it in, you know, in other ways. I'm, I'm curious, like, because you're not that far removed from basketball, like what tools do you think basketball gave you or equipped you with that have translated well into running and maybe put you at a little bit of an advantage or like just given you some skills that a lot of runners don't have? I think that the quick burst type of type of movements for sure. Mm-hmm. As basketball, you, again, you have to be good. I mean, you, I don't. We don't use much laterally in, in, in running, even though we do need it. Um, but the just to, again those quick bursts, and I did a lot of plyometric stuff in basketball. And maybe that helped equates a little bit of running, but like definitely those quick bursts, uh, having to have to sprint over and over and over and over again. You know, so I I, I feel like that that helped me a lot. You know. And uh, maybe that quick turnover type of thing um, for short, short periods of time. What's harder on your body, running or basketball? Oh, running for sure. By by a long time. <laughs> <laughs> basketball, I feel like you can kind of coast through it a little bit. You know, you can't coast through running, especially if you're trying to hit key workouts. And and in basketball, you can you can literally just float like a butterfly and, and be off and be fine in the background. No, you can't with running. <laughs> It's, it's definitely so much more uh, taxing on, on the body, at least for me. <laughs> so take me back to just after that first marathon. You mentioned how banged up you were, I mean, going into it and, and coming out of it. Yeah. But what were some of the changes that you and your coaches made to your training and your approach to the sport that allowed you to, number one, stay healthy, and then two, eventually get stronger and be able to handle more training? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I like to... Definitely piggyback off of Coach Omar, uh, which is my coach. Uh, and we, with with the history of with the history of me being, you know, injury prone <laughs> and whatnot, and we we kind of helped me with the biking helps. We didn't we didn't double uh, a lot. We just had consistent uh, consistent consistent workouts, but everything had a purpose. But he also took pride in not rushing anything. Um, so we kind of took a lot of 
things in account. Um, we was learning from him and, and uh, he's always checking how I was feeling. And those things I feel like add to your improvement is becoming a runner and someone caring about you as your coach caring about you and how you're feeling and what you're doing. But his, the way that he structured everything was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And um, it was slow progress. It wasn't, you know, taking a big mm-hmm. leap of, of, of anything. It was short and steady. He wouldn't progress. Um, just hearing him talk about it more, he wouldn't have, he didn't progress me onto anything if I wasn't ready for it. So we just took baby steps continuously, continuously. And uh, we just ran a lot more, but everything had a purpose, you know? So. Was that hard for you to buy into? Because the nature of success in distance running is delayed gratification on, on some level. Like success generally isn't going to happen overnight or or the next day. You can't always like make that direct connection between the workout you just did, a long run you just did, and the success that you're going to have on race day because there's often a big gap between those things. Whereas in basketball, like you can refine something and, you know, you see the ball go through the hoop and, you know, you've scored a point or you win the game or you lose the game and then you try again like the next day. And running is definitely a bit more, you know, spread out. Yeah. from that. Was that adjustment hard for you to kind of play the long game and to have that patience and to realize that every little thing that you did was going to add up to something? Um, I'm not too sure. I, I knew for me, I was just kind of tired of not, t- I was tired of being hurt, <laughs> you know? So with, with, with going through the, that, that journey of my, of my running career and, and thankfully, I think I have to be grateful it did happen. It did teach me a whole lot. I had to, to be still, I had to be patient. And I just had to learn that there's, there's a process to everything, you know, and I went through a whole spill of the just mental and uh, of just mental, just hardships within that time. Cause I was like, am I, is, is this going to go anywhere? I just believe that something greater was to come. And I'm again, key conversations with my brother, Joe uh, Garcia, like be patient, you know, it's all about the journey. Like, again, thankful for this, the community here in LA, like the, the support is, is, it's huge. It's huge. You know? So I just told myself to stay patient, think positive and, and to know that there's something better ahead. There's no reason for anyone to just go through countless, you know, negative after negative without some positive coming. So those are just kind of things I was telling myself, but more, most of just staying patient and knowing that something good's coming. Once you got that first marathon under your belt at Chicago, how were you thinking about your future goals at that point? I was ready to go. You know, like that. I mean, people warn you too, like you're going to have an itch, you know, after you complete that first one. And I, I remember even shedding tears um, crossing that line that year in Chicago. I even, I still get emotional, you know, and I've run, I haven't run that many, obviously, but I run a couple and each one feels magical. But that first one, there's no, nothing like it. It was such a such an emotional roller coaster. Like I remember hitting mile eighteen, getting through Little Italy. I think it, I don't know if that's around the same mile uh, mileage and to the race, but I just remember feeling like the bottom of the barrel. And then I get this <laughs> is roller coasters pretty much. And mm-hmm. once it completed, I was just like, I want this. I want I want this so badly. And I never voiced it out. I just told myself I'm gonna I'm just gonna work for it and see what happens. Um, cause being with how things have happened at that point in time, some great things have did happen to me running wise that I never would ever equate to even happening. Did a, a couple of Nike photo shoots and I'm like, still, I'm like, how, <laughs> you know? So 
the sport's been good to me, and I my, I was raised that anyone anything that could happen, stay grateful, and and keep progression forward, and giving giving your best, and giving the love to those who helped you. So I wanted to give back to those who helped me, and for the great opportunities, and not only only way I, I can do that financially. So I just told myself, I wanted to just work my whole heart uh, towards it. That's that's all I'm still going to always do. Just work hard. I think that's such a great takeaway for anyone listening to this. I don't want to skip over too much, but I know we're running short on time here. But just last month, you ran virtual Boston Marathon yeah. in 239 and some change. Yeah. That was a personal best for you. Yeah. And it was two minutes faster than you ran at the LA Marathon earlier this year, which was probably the last event that happened before COVID shut anything down. So over the course of what, like a three, four year period, you went from, you know, 309 to, you know, sub three, sub 250. Now you're sub 240 marathoner. And you've had some incredible opportunities. Like you just mentioned, you were in the Tracksmith video, Race Day is Still Sacred. Um, I listened to you on the Rambling Runner podcast. I heard you on the Keeping Pace podcast. I read the Tempo Journal piece on you. I even found some obscure Runner's World piece on you from Man. you know a little while ago. Yeah. Could you have imagined uh, when you first started running, you know, four, five years ago, um, whatever it was, that this is where you would be? Um, today, not not in a million years, Mario. Right? Not not, not even, I can't even try to even still. I still don't try to understand it. Um, just my heart is forever full, you know. And I, I know things like this doesn't happen to too many people, you know. And and for it to happen to myself, I just again just just, just always say I always say thank you first and foremost in any opportunity, and I I just try to make sure. I give my all to it, and I never would have thought this. You know, people have been working at running all their lives. And, and, and now sometimes I, again, I, I don't understand how it happened. So I just, again, to stay thankful and very, very grateful. I know that a long-term goal for you is to eventually qualify for the Olympic marathon trials. Yeah. Are you pretty open to that timeline? I mean, you're about 32 years old now. So by the time the next trials roll around, you'll be 35, 36 yeah. and 40. I mean, Luckily for you, since you're new to running, you've got pretty young running legs, yeah, um, yeah. even though you're, you're kind of coming into what would be, you know, your prime years as an athlete. Like, how are you thinking about the next, like, you know, four to eight years and your goals and where they fall along a timeline? Yeah, I mean, so grateful for my, my brother, uh, Riley, who gave me the opportunity to be in the Temple Journal, that uh, Temple article that uh, Ryan Sterner wrote, wrote, wrote on myself. And, and um, so, shout out to... Uh, Tempo and, and Riley and, and everyone over there. And and I, I mentioned that it does seem far-fetched, you know, but I believe in it, you know, and um, I just told myself, all I can do is work hard. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I know I, I'm going to give everything I have uh, towards it. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very aggressive dream uh, to want to accomplish. Um, but I, I know that... I'm going to just give everything I have and myself to try to obtain it. And I'm even trying to look past that, you know, and um, running has been special to me. It's been crazy. <laughs> so crazy. And I'm just trying to just, just, just light the fire that's inside of me, you know, and, um, and see what happens and whatever happens happens. And I'm, I'm happy with that. How do you balance this serious competitive pursuit and these big goals with everything else that you've got going on in your life? 
I just I just try to stay grateful, you know, um, and gain life. I, I, especially in the times that we're in right now, like life is <laughs> it's pretty hard for us, you know. Um, it's, it's definitely unprecedented times. Um, I just think to think about what I went through as a child growing up, mid mid adult. You know, I think if I can get through that, I can get through this. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, sometimes I do I do recycle those emotions. You know, and that's kind of what's got me through a lot. Of what I where, to where I'm at right now is to um, just just be fuel off the passion. You know, and and again, I don't take this sport for granted. Um, I know I'm nowhere close. I know there's millions of <laughs> hundreds of thousands of runners that are faster than me. You know, and better than me. And, and um, I just want to just be as, try to be as good as I as as they are as I am as I want to be. You know, so. I just try to find fact, passion in, 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 in everything and just and it's fine just work hard and not compare myself and not try to be like anyone else. Um, but just stay stay grateful and just work hard. On the flip side, I mean, you've got people who have seen you in the Tracksmith film, started following you on social media, paying attention to what you're doing, maybe following your training on Strava. They're going to listen to this and be inspired. Does that ever hit you at all? Do you ever think about the fact that there are people out there in the world who are paying attention to what it is that you're doing and being inspired by it? Oh, man. Uh, it blows my mind to think, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of, I try to take part of, of even like how I handle like Instagram and things like that. Like to, again, so many people has helped me, Mario. And I kind of like, I wanted my grandmother has, we've had conversations even in, in, in conversation with other people who, who um, I've had with in the past that again, with knowing that so many people have helped me, I just kind of want to kind of reciprocate, recycle that same energy, you know, mm-hmm. Not, again, I, I'm, I don't consider myself anything big, anything gigantic. I'm just trying to give inspiration uh, from so many people who have done the same for me. So I hope it helps at least one person, you know, because I've gotten inspiration from hundreds, even from yourself, Mario. Like I've, I've even when I got into running, I, I came across you, Mario. I, mean, I don't think I've ever told you this, but it's, it's been amazing to to just again receive inspiration from in, from multiple people. But again, it's trying to reciprocate that same energy back. Uh, for that, for that reason only, you know, just try to be a bright light. That's all. That's all I love and want to be for nothing else, nothing more. For no, um, for no glamour, for no nothing. Just want to be a bright light. Yeah, I thank you for that, and I know how genuine you are in your approach, and it really has impressed a lot upon me, and certainly many others listening to this. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I've said this on other podcasts, on my own podcast before. Like, I really think we're here to help each other out when, when, when it's all said and done. And, and I think that applies to running and in, in other areas of life, like we're here to help each other out. So I think the more that, you know, we can do that in our own ways. And sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it right. You never know how something that you say or an action that you do impacts someone else or who's watching it or, or how they may be, you know, inspired by it. And I think that's, what's like, you know, that's what's so cool about, you know, this sport and, you know, especially during, you know, these, these kind of fraught times that we're, we're living through, like if we could just help each other out a little bit more and set positive examples for one another, I think we'd all be better off. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Uh, it can be, it shouldn't be for no other reasons, you know, we all need somebody and I was racing to, 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 to lean on that, that we all need somebody 
some people believe it. You know, you can't force your beliefs on people, but um, I think that it all comes back to that. We all need each other, you know, in some form or fashion. I know I need a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I know I can't do this by my own, by myself, uh, from where I'm trying to get to. Um, we, we need, a, we need, we need each other. One thing I want to talk to you about before we wrap up this conversation is these current times that we're living through. And we've seen over the past few months a lot of movement around racial justice and we've seen a lot of conversation around diversity and equity and inclusion in running specifically. And the question I have for you is what does it mean for you, Marquise Bowden, to be a black male in running today? Um. It's powerful, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where it's something you have to be appreciative. It's, it's not easy <laughs> for, for one, but I think it's something that is, it's a powerful thing. Um, and yeah, it sucks how, um, things have been going on for centuries and, and, you know, of, of, of time that it, it's being highlighted now, but, um, I feel very appreciative to be the skin color that I am. And um, I just pray and hope everything gets better. Even, even though sometimes that may seem far-fetched, even though no matter sure. what, you know, there's gonna, always going to be a situation that you have to face, that I'm going to have to face and many other people of color uh, will have to face because of their skin color. That is just ingrained in some people's minds, you know. Um, but I'm very appreciative to be uh, African-American and I love it. And um, it, it definitely builds a chip on your shoulder, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. But for me, I, I'm grateful and, I, and I, I, love my, I love my skin color. As a follow-up to that, and I think you're the perfect person to ask this question to because you still are relatively new mm-hmm. to running. But what more can we do as a running community to make it more diverse and to make it more equitable and to make it more inclusive? Uh, What's so crazy, Mar? I just had this conversation with my, my boy Tim Rossi. Uh, I'm, I'm not. Too I sure. know Tim. He and I ran New York together uh, last year. Actually, wow, it's crazy. I think that was a year ago. And Tim actually asked me that uh, that exact question, and and I told Tim like I, I think the best thing is just to support. I don't know for me. I, I can only speak for Marquise, but I just think support. Um, Supporting people of color, supporting, I mean, I mean, just, just to support in general, no matter how that may look, um, genuine support to, to, to be more clear. And um, I think that's important um, in so many ways. Um, I'm not the, sometimes I'm, it's hard on me with words, but that's what resonates in my heart is, is, is support. Um, support people, support every person you know, of color and out of color, you know. Um, everyone needs support, needs help. Thank you for that. I agree with you completely. And if there are two themes that come out of this entire conversation, it's just that support, support one another, however we can and in different ways. And then the other one is gratitude. I've heard that word so many times during this conversation. And it's one that, I mean, I wrote about it in my newsletter this past week. It's what I'm trying to focus on myself in my own life. Because I found that if we lead with, gratitude and we can find those things in our day, no matter how small they may seem, it just kind of sets us up a lot better for whatever gets thrown our way, whatever challenges we may need to overcome, whatever bad mood we may we may be in for whatever reason. And I mean, you just like ooze that. Um, and it's really 
you know, just kind of reinforced that for me and I think made a big impression upon anyone listening to this. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, to piggyback on that, like you said, gratitude, handle all things with love. Um, points of, of, of conflict, points of love, points of good things, handle everything with love. I think that helps all scenarios, you know? So I think that's the way we all, I hope we all could, could like angle things, look at things, especially what we're going on in today's world, you know? Last question, and it's a common one for me to wrap up an episode with, but what is exciting you in running right now? Ooh, um, looking at the races that are going on, like the diamond with all the record breaking uh, races mm-hmm. going on and just seeing, I mean, seeing London happen, but um, those that's been exciting, but also seeing people still get after it. Um, people are still working hard. People are still uh, chasing their dreams and goals, um, being with with what we're encountering. And so that's been exciting to see people still pushing themselves, working hard, not not giving any excuses. But for those who also, it's hard for them right now in the time where they're still being honest about that as well. So um, I just think that people getting after it and people also respect what we're into. Um, along with the races going on. I, I love that about running currently. It's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Marquise, I really enjoyed every bit of the last 80 minutes or so that we've been talking. And thank you again for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Oh, Mario, I can't, I can't express it enough. And my heart is full uh, for you allowing me to, to be here uh, in your presence. It means a lot. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to support the show, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to listen and subscribe. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support. I put out a separate weekly podcast on there called The Weekly Rundown, which I co-host with my friend and colleague, Billy Yang, and I also offer other exclusive perks and sneak peeks from time to time. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He's my audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing before we wrap up. If you are digging the podcast, I think you will love the Morning Shakeout email newsletter. Every Tuesday morning, I give my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a short collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to, and you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast.